so exciting today. I can't wait to be up here. Hey, lots of great things going on. Check out our website. We really want you to be involved in our community. I mean, it is the best way to experience the new life that Jesus has to offer. It's by being together. And so uh, please check out our website. If you ever have questions about how to get more involved here at Cornerstone, uh, you can go to the website or visit our info area out in the, in the lobby and we'll connect with you. I want to welcome everyone today, and there are many people watching at home, and we have a lot of people here for the first time, and we have a lot of first-timers back over the last two years. Special welcome to you. Uh, one of the things that usually happens when people come back for the first time is they need to find one of us pastors, and they feel like they need to have a confessional of why they haven't been here in a while. But I'll just, you know, that's not needed. We're just glad you're here. And um, I'm glad today to get to share a message about the meaning of the resurrection and I want to start with a quote that comes from Helen Keller that I've kept in my phone for many years, and it's meant a lot to me. It goes like this. Although the, although the world is full of suffering, which it is, it is also full of overcoming. And if you extrapolate that even more of where that overcoming comes from, it's what we celebrate today, the power of the resurrection that is not only the power that brought life back to Jesus when he was literally dead, but it's the same power that allows every story like Jeff's to happen. Don't we love stories of overcoming? I mean, things like a struggling marriage and alcoholism and, and, and a waning faith, all of those things can be brought back. And whether you know it or not, the power behind every redemptive story, every renewing story, every resurrecting story is the power that brought Jesus from the grave. God cares about renewal. He cares about your renewal. He cares about resurrection. And I wanna thank Jeff for sharing his story because it's so much like so many of ours. We're just struggling along and all of a sudden we need certain things. We need messages. We need friends. We need hope. We need God's power to help move us into a different place. But all of those things are the, uh, is coming from the power of the resurrection. Now today what I'd like to do, we're gonna to go to a passage in Luke 24 and we're gonna remember the story, but I wanna point out three themes that allow us to connect to the meaning of the resurrection. Because that really is the point today. It's not just remembering an old event, it's about connecting to its meaning. And then with these three themes that give us its meaning, I want you to notice that there are three gifts that I believe that God wants to share with each one of us today. And maybe one of these gifts is more needed at this time in your life, but God is generous, and he's always sharing his new life with us, and so I want to point out these themes and these gifts today. But as we get started, we're going to go to Luke chapter 24, and I want you to consider this. If you're someone that doubts the Bible, that is okay. We have a lot of people in our church that way, and maybe you even doubt the story of the resurrection, and you wonder what, it, what power does it have. Let me just tell you this about the Bible. The Bible's full of old stories, but the reason they last is because the same truth that transform people's lives back in the moment of these stories is the same truth that's alive today in the same way, and it can transform your life. And there's not a single story in all of the Bible or all of history that has the potential to change who we are and the trajectory of our life and the life to come more than this story. And so we're gonna go to Luke 24, and we're gonna see how some people interacted with it the first time in some of the events. So starting in verse one, it says this. On the first day of the week... And I also want to point out, this happens to be the first month of the Jewish year, okay? So the first day of the week, on the first month of the Jewish year, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. 
But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. So the first to hear that he is not there. Now, I want you to notice that these are the friends of Jesus who are coming to finish preparing his body because they had to take his body down from the cross in haste, and there's still some more work to do. And even though Jesus had been talking about this future resurrection and that he would have to be crushed and, and brought down for several days, but on the third day he'd rise again, even that moment with the, with the stone rolled away and the tomb being empty, they're surprised. And it just tells us something about the resurrection. It surprises all of us. It's the unbelievable happening. And so even Jesus' closest friends that had the privilege of learning from him are here and they're surprised. Now let's place this story in its context of what took place earlier that week. So a week before Jesus, who is at this time a semi-famous rabbi from a little Jewish town in the north called Nazareth. He's been traveling around the Galilee in the country. He's not been in the powerful cities. But a week before, he comes into Jerusalem. And there he's in Jerusalem and he's celebrating a feast called the Passover which many of you know, some of you may not, that's okay. The Passover is a week-long celebration that Jews for a very, very long time have, have celebrated that remembers the moment when God stretched out his arm, it says with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, God saved his people. He saved them from slavery. And so Jesus is there celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem. Well, the evening of the Passover meal, Jesus and his friends are in the garden and Jesus is secretly arrested. It couldn't happen in front of all the crowds because he had so much support from the people because he was someone that lifted others up. And so he's secretly arrested and he's taken in for this like kangaroo court trial and he's convicted. The next morning, he's whipped as was the custom to do with criminals like this. And then there's a large beam that's put on his back and Jesus is paraded around the streets of Jerusalem only to end that journey outside of the city walls where that beam that was on his back is placed on another beam that's standing upright, and Jesus is crucified next to two criminals. One of the worst ways to die, it was meant to be torture, it was meant to scare people watching to say, hey, whatever this person did, you better not do. And so Jesus is killed in the most gruesome way, and you know, because of our place in history and our perspective, we can look back and we can say, man, we can glamorize the story and we can smile now, right? But that was a dark day. It was a very dark day. And the two days that followed the crucifixion of Jesus are devastating and tragic for his friends and family. We had hoped that he would be, some would say. So no wonder they're surprised that day. They're just caught up in their own emotions and the tragedy that taken place. But as these women and the disciples began to grasp what had taken place with the resurrection, these are the themes of meaning that they would hold on to, and we would see them through the course of the rest of their life. And so I want to point out these themes. The first one is the theme of new beginnings, or the theme of firsts, okay? So it's no coincidence that the passage starts out on the first day of the week, so the beginning of a day, the beginning of a month, as I pointed out. In the beginning of a new week, all of these things are taking place because God is making a point to say, this is something new. God is doing something new in the world. God has been faithful in the world beforehand, but God is now doing something new. Later on, Paul would call it new creation. This is a new beginning, not just for Jesus, but for anyone who would follow him. 
And God goes out of his way to make sure all of these things line up with certain events that, that happened in Israel's past so that they might understand the meeting. So I want to point them out. So first of all, we see that Jesus is crucified on the very day during Passover that the, the lamb was killed in the temple. Gene shared that last week. The lamb's blood was an offering so that God would forgive. Well, Jesus stands in that place of that lamb, and he's that lamb for all people. And so he died at just the moment that the lamb was killed in the temple. Well, three days later, when Jesus rose, he rose at just the moment that another feast, another holiday is taking place in Jerusalem. If you're a part of Cornerstone, you know this story, but it helps us understand. It's the Feast of First Fruits. Life revolved around uh, growing crops and the harvest. And it was at this time of the year that the first sprigs, the first pieces of grain would begin to come out of the ground. And so part of this, the tradition of this feast is the farmers would go into their field and they'd pull up the first sprigs and they'd hurry to Jerusalem and they'd, share, they'd give those sprigs to the priests and the priests would hold them up in celebration and say, look, life once again has found a way. After a cold, dark winter, life has found a way. So people are celebrating these things and it's just that moment that Jesus rises again. So the first of a day, the first of a week, the first of a month, during a feast that celebrates the first out of the ground, Jesus is raised to life. Now here's what it means for you. It means that God is always offering something new to you, a new beginning. And people need this. We need a gracious message like this that no matter what it is that we do, whatever it is that happens to us or that we go through, God is always there to say, hey, it's not just that there's another chance. God is always there to say, I am always here with you offering you something new, new creation, another opportunity. Now, the reason we need this as people is because we begin to, to believe the illusion that, that we earn things on our own or that we should handle all of these things by ourselves. But when we fail because we can't control our lives, if you don't understand that there's a gracious savior beside you saying, hey, there's a new beginning here for you, then we can often give up. Or we can end up in despair, which is where many people today end up. But this message gives us tremendous hope. Paul described it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And the new creation has come. See, what happened with Jesus, and this is according to N.T. Wright, he describes it this way, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus Christ, his new world. And Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project of restoring all things. And so with the resurrection comes the theme of new beginnings, new opportunities, new relationships, new hope. And for some of you that have never joined your life to Jesus, today could be the beginning of a new beginning. A new beginning that won't be free from trials and struggles, but it will be different in a certain way because God has changed the rules. And you really can overcome. You really can experience the freedom that God has to offer. So new beginnings is the first theme. The second theme is we really saw illustrated in Jeff's story, and it's the theme of overcoming. So we love it when we overcome. We love it when other people overcome certain struggles. If you get into each of those stories, you'll see that there's always other people involved helping them get there. We don't just overcome on our own. There's always someone there to help us. Now I wanna point out a really cool word that's in the Bible that I think is the word that was spoken that morning, and I'll point it out here in a moment where it is in the passage. But there's a Hebrew word that's pronounced kum. 
And kum is the word that's used in Hebrew to describe someone who is risen or to arise or to stand. And so that moment, as we looked at in the passage earlier, the women run to the grave. The angels say to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He has risen. Being Jewish women who speak Hebrew, that's the word they would have heard that day, kum. Now, they also would have known that it's not just a word that describes to arise or to rise or to stand, but like most Jewish words, because they were so old, even at that time, they're full of meaning and there's concepts that come with them. And so the the word kum also means to endure. Didn't Jesus endure death? He endured the cross. Kum also means to be lifted up or to lift another up. And it's used to describe establishing something new. And so think of it this way. He is risen. He has endured. He has been lifted up. And what this means is that we're allowed to overcome. We have the power to overcome because there is a Savior who stands with us. There will be a time in your life, if you join your your, your life to Jesus, that you will feel too weak to stand, too weak to take another step. But he stands with you. And he offers you the very same power that brought life to his dead body. He offers it to us in our struggles, which is more than enough. Now, a great illustration of this occurs in the book of Job. And this word appears there, this special word. This, it's an amazing theme in the Hebrew Bible, the theme of kum. But Job, if you don't know about Job, Job was a good man. He was a faithful man. He loved God. And God allowed him to go through some really... Uh, significant suffering. In fact, he suffered uh, more than a, a person should in a short period of time. So more than a lifetime of suffering happened in a short period of time. And in the midst of Job's suffering and his sadness, and you could say that Job was in a grave himself, he found the strength to overcome. And where did this strength come from? Well, he says this in Job chapter 19, verse 25. Now listen to how brilliant this is. Job is describing something that's true for him in the moment, but he's also describing something that would take place in the, in the distant future that's true for us today. He says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand, kum, upon the earth. So somehow in the midst of his suffering, it gave Job great strength to know that he is not alone. Think of it this way. We all have different... Uh, tombs or graves in our life, and they can show up in, in a number of different ways. Maybe the persistence of anxiety and depression, or you just have, you've gone through a lot in your life, and you struggle with shame, and you struggle with all the things that have been said about you. Maybe the, it's your own voice condemning yourself. Maybe you struggle that way. Maybe you're struggling through grief and loss because you lost someone. Maybe your relationships are fractured, and you're suffering through that. Maybe your kids aren't doing well. Maybe you're gripped with an addiction. All of those things are graves. Now, Job helps us understand something. He says this, you do not have to enter a grave by yourself. There is one that knows the way through every grave. My redeemer lives and he stands upon the earth. He stands with you in those dark places, in the grave. See, it is the key to overcoming. And it's so, uh, it's so not American to say, to overcome means you rely on someone else. But that's exactly one of the meanings of the resurrection. He is standing, he is living to help us overcome these things. And this is why, my friends, it takes such humility and faith to journey with Jesus. It takes humility to say, I need you. 
I need for you to do what, for me what I can't do for myself. I need a strength that I don't have on my own. I need a strength that this world doesn't have to offer. And so to gain this power, which is one of these great benefits that comes with knowing that he is there to help us overcome, you have to have a humble heart. Josh McDowell says this, no matter how devastating our struggles, disappointments, and troubles are, they're only temporary. No matter what happens to you, no matter the depth of tragedy or pain you face, no matter how death stalks you and your loved ones, the resurrection promises you a future of immeasurable good. Or another way to describe it, a future of joy. That's what God promises. You could go on, you could see the stories of the disciples overcoming after this moment. It's a new beginning, it's a message of overcoming, but it's also a message of life or a literal resurrection. And so I just, you know, I can use resurrection and tombs and graves as a metaphor to describe struggle and overcoming them. But we would fail to miss the meaning if we didn't talk about a literal resurrection. And what God does is he brings life from death. That's what resurrection means. Life through death or from death. The angel greets the women that day, says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. He is alive. He once was dead, literally dead, and now he is alive. Paul in 1 Corinthians connects this moment to that feast of first fruits. He says, but Christ has indeed, indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits, so the first of many of those who have fallen asleep, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through a man, for as in Adam all die, but in Christ all who are made alive each in their own turn. This is what he's saying. He will share with you his literal resurrection. And there's a couple ways that this needs to happen. There's a couple different layers of death that we have that are, are literal deaths that we've experienced. And so in the Bible, there's this joining together of the themes of sin and death. They come together. And the reason for that is that after God had made a perfect world where he created people with human agency and the ability to choose Adam and Eve both sinned, so we see that mentioned here in this passage, but they're not any different than us. If it wouldn't have been them, it would have been me. It would have been you. It's just not fun being the first, because they show up here in the Bible, all right? But he, we, could, we could put any of our names in there for Adam. What happened when that perfect world was corrupted by sin, and this is what sin is. Sin is a rebellion against God. It's unknowingly choosing ourselves over him, so it doesn't really matter where the motivation comes from. It's choosing ourselves or other people or other ways before God. And sin always corrupts. And it corrupts to the degree that it leads to decay and death. And so God did not make a world and he did not make people like you and me with uh, the purpose of experiencing death. We, we're never meant to get sick. We're never meant to die. But with sin comes death. And so forever, sin and death have been joined together. Which means that we need a salvation, a resurrection for both of those things. And so when you begin to study the resurrection, it's not just about being experiencing heaven someday and being saved from the physical grave. It's also about being saved from spiritual death. So we're told over and over again in the New Testament that Jesus broke sin's power over us. Now that doesn't mean that the influence of sin does not exist still. It does. Temptation is still there. But it means that we do not have to be controlled by it, that there is a freedom that's available to us with the presence and power of God so that sin no longer holds us down. We need our hearts and souls 
saved and resurrected. And that's why forgiveness is such an important theme this time of year. On the cross, he offered atonement for each of our sins, which means payment for our sin. And in his heart, whether it was that day on the cross or the, or the, the tomb, wherever he was the, those, those days before the resurrection or after the resurrection, Jesus has been forgiving people just like me and you ever since. He allows this freedom to occur. It's a salvation of our soul. It's a resurrection of our soul. But here's the amazing promise as well. There needs to be a resurrection of our bodies. I mean, there are certain graves that are very difficult to deal with. Addiction's one of them. Struggling marriage. Kids not doing well. Those are all graves, right? And he's here to help us. But there's one grave that's undefeated. It's the grave of death. It's a wilderness. All graves are wilderness. We don't know how to, we don't know how to navigate them. We don't know where to go. We're disoriented. But there's one person that knows the way. He knows the way through every grave, including your death someday. This is amazing. It's true that we don't have to face any grave alone, including this one. I've often been asked, and it's usually at funerals, and it's usually a kid that says, what did they see when they died? What did my mom see when she died? And knowing that she had joined herself to the death and life of Jesus. She had said yes to him. I said to this little kid just a few weeks ago, I said, you know what she saw? She saw Jesus. He was the one on the other side of that door greeting her. Because for, never for a moment was she going to be alone. See, the bodily resurrection that's talked about so much in the New Testament is one of those things that gives us tremendous hope. And new life, and that's the third gift that we get. We get new life, eternal life, and that leads to tremendous hope. He knows the way through every grave, which means that love can last, and even though you might be separated from a loved one right now, it does not have to be permanent. And that's amazing. It's an amazing message. A couple years ago, I was doing a memorial service right here at Cornerstone, and um, I was talking to... Uh, a man who had just lost his wife. They'd been married for 40 years. And he was grieving. And the loss of just this key part of his life for most of his life. I mean, he had lost part of his heart and he was grieving and he was crying. But then a moment changed in the conversation and he smiled at me. And he said these words that are repeated over and over again in the Bible. The last place you see them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, speaking of a bodily resurrection, he said this with a smile on his face and tears in his eyes. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? That's not wishful thinking. That's a future hope, a future glory that has been established in an event that took place in the past. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And that day, in the midst of his grief and sorrow, he could look at me and smile and say, a great victory occurred today as well. Because she lives. And she is not alone. And someday I will see her again. Someday love will be uh, rekindled. It's just interrupted for a moment. And that smile had meant all of those things to that, that man that day. There's always a new beginning. There's always to, someone to help you overcome. And there is someone that will greet you at the very end 
for the enemies that you can't defeat on your own. That's the meaning of the resurrection, and those are the gifts that we get to celebrate today, and it's amazing. This is why, this is my favorite day of the year. Favorite moments in history have to do with when the Broncos win championships and my kids win. But if I had to pick one day a year, it would be this. It's like a birthday, it's like Christmas. It's the most hopeful day. First Peter chapter one, verse three says this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a new living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so as I close, I would just ask you that question. Are you experiencing the new birth and the living hope that he wants to offer you? And I just described a few of the aspects of that living hope today. But God is generous and he wants to fill your life with grace. There's a new opportunity today, new beginnings. He wants to fill your life with power so that you might overcome. And he wants you to have the hope that comes with knowing that there is life and eternal life that's available to you today. And so as I close, I want to just close by answering two questions. And this is more for the person who maybe doesn't have an understanding of how they join their life to God. All right? So two questions usually come up after a message like this and on Sundays like this one. And the first question is, how do I know that this story is real? How can I trust it? And second of all, if I do believe it's real, how do I receive it? So let me just say this if, for those of you that are wondering. First of all, your doubt is okay. It actually is a part of your faith. It's very, very important. Your questions are important. And I would say to you, don't believe me. Don't necessarily even believe the person next to you, although if they're a sincere person and they've experienced something outside of themselves, it might be worse worth considering their own testimony and their story. But the way that you believe in the unbelievable and that you're convinced that a miracle like this happened and is available to you, to you today is the same way the people the first day were convinced. Notice, they're doubting, they have questions they don't understand even though Jesus told them it was going to happen. You know how they're convinced that day? He shows up on the road with them, the couple to Emmaus, and he talks to them, and he appears to Mary. And then he appears to his disciples. Frederick Buechner says it well. He says it this way. It hardly matters how the body of Jesus came to be missing because in the last analysis, what convinced the people that he had risen from the dead was not the absence of his corpse. So it wasn't his, the empty tomb, but listen to this. But it was his living presence that moved towards them, spoke to them, comforted them, gave them wisdom. And then he says this, and so it has been ever since. So what this means is there's tremendous responsibility on the Holy Spirit in our lives, but also on ourselves to be open and aware for him to come and for us to notice when he is moving towards us, speaking to us, whispering to us. Maybe during worship you sense something or someone. Maybe even as we read the scriptures and heard the story, your, your, your heart came alive. Let me tell you something. That's the Holy Spirit, and he is there trying to help you see that Jesus is alive and that he has always been near to you in your life and that you've always belonged to him. We believe the same way they did, by experiencing his living presence. Here's the second question. How do you receive these gifts and join your life to Jesus? Well, it's really simple. Romans chapter 10 Verse nine, Paul says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and what that means is that you submit yourself to him. It's not just about letting God do for you what you can't do for yourself. We are meant to respond to him. He is Lord, he is king. 
But declare with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. And then listen to this. He connects it to the resurrection. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Or better word is resurrected. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's an incredible day because God won a great victory. But it's meaningful because it connects to us. And he shares it with us every day. But on this day, we get to celebrate it in a special way. And so I want to invite you to just go to the quiet place of prayer. It's about your heads. And why don't we just start this time by thanking God for his presence that's here in this room. Let him convince you all over again with his presence and his words and his comfort and his friendship, his love. Maybe you need to hear the the message of forgiveness. Let our hearts be filled with wonder. May we be convinced all over again. And now I want you to imagine Jesus saying to you, live the resurrection. Because this is the best way to celebrate it, to join him and to live it. And so join a new creation and what he's doing. Let him give you a new start if you need one today. Let Jesus empower the change and transformation in your life. Let him move you through those smaller graves. And then may you smile with great hope when you say death has no sting. Father, we lift you up today. There is none like you. There's no day like this one. Because on this day, Father, people were set free and new life was breathed into all of the world. May this church, may every family here, may this community, may the city of Boulder be filled with resurrection power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.